Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello, and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together, and we have some wonderful people helping us along the way. Confidence and self-worth, both positive and negative, can influence how a person feels, thinks, and acts throughout childhood and adulthood. We all feel the outside influences from adults to children, boys and girls. It's been well researched though that girls have it particularly tough these days. On how to talk to kids about anything, we've heard it from Katie Hurley and Rosalind Wiseman who talked about mean girl pressures. Heard it from Rachel Simmons when she told us that each girl is in need of feeling that she is enough as she is and often does not because she is in a constant state of comparison and perfectionism and striving. And we talked about it with Dina Alexander when we discussed media literacy and the images girls keep seeing every day as they submerge themselves in media and social media 24-7. My own work on girls' body image and the confidence crisis that I personally present on and write about has shown again and again that the confidence and self-worth of girls can get compromised as they move from the younger grades to older elementary school, middle school, and high school. We know we have a problem. Now what do we do? Now, I always love when I have guests who are invested a great deal in the work in the same area that I'm invested in. They love to talk about girls and confidence and how we can help girls thrive just as much as I do. And we're so lucky to have Danielle Miller on the show today, who's speaking to us all the way from Australia. And Danielle overlaps with me on this vital work on confidence as we both work to help girls thrive. Danielle Miller is a best-selling author, teen educator, and media commentator. In 2003, she founded Australia's leading provider of in-school workshops for teen girls called Enlightened Education. More recently, she launched a program for boys called Goodfellas. She has written for several online and print publications and has a bi-weekly column in Australia's most read newspaper, The Daily Telegraph. She has written five books for parents and teen girls, including a best-selling title on raising happy, confident teen girls called The Butterfly Effect. Danielle is a popular speaker at youth and education conferences and forums internationally. So welcome, Danielle, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Oh, thank you, Robin. It's such a pleasure to be here. So before we get into the meat of the matter, for those who haven't had the opportunity to meet you and read your books or your articles, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so focused on girls and their wavering confidence these days? Yeah, look, I was a high school teacher for many years and I worked predominantly with students at risk, so in a student welfare role. And it was interesting, Robin, because most of the students who were who were sent to me for support were boys. And I think that's because boys tend to act out. They tend to explode rather than implode. So I was sort of happily working away with young men and then it struck me, what was happening to their sisters? You know, these young people all came from the same homes. They were all experiencing similar pressures. Why were we not identifying girls as needing extra support? Mm. Um, And I did sort of delve a little deeper, had had further conversations with young women and realised they absolutely did. It's just that they're better at masking that often. So girls can be doing really well academically. They can be making great, you know, friendships. They can be doing well on the sporting field. But behind closed doors, it's a very different story. So I became really focused on getting to the heart of what was happening with young women. And then for me, Robin, it became personal when I had my own daughter. So my daughter Tia is now 19, but when she was younger, I remember looking at her and 
as a little girl, she was, as we often all were, you know, so full of confidence and so excited about the world and her place in it. And I compared that youthful enthusiasm um, that I saw in her to what I saw expressed in the teen girls I taught and realised there was a real disconnect there. So I sort of thought, what could I do? What could I do as at that early intervention stage? Something positive, something proactive to support girls to know how to navigate a world that sometimes doesn't seem to like them very much. So uh, I designed Enlighten, thinking it would be a, I guess, a bit of a part-time hobby while I had my senior role in education. Mm -hmm. uh, but it took on a life of its own, particularly after 60 Minutes here in Australia did a story on me. And um, I decided to dedicate myself full time to sort of growing it. So we work with 20,000 girls a year across Australia, New Zealand and Asia. Um, and it's really exciting and it's opened lots of opportunities to do writing as well, as you suggested. Mm, so amazing. And I'm sure the girls and the families are so appreciative of your support and your ideas, considering that we have a lot of startling statistics that and then we, we both talk about in our keynotes and teenage girls are more likely to, to drink alcohol, to take drugs, to have self-esteem and body image issue, issues than our boys. And in fact, it's extremely common for girls to want to change something about their bodies. They feel like they're not enough. So yes, girls face a number of very tough real world issues. And we're not talking about made up drama or PMS, that kind of thing. What we're talking about is something very real and I want to know from you what you see as the most troubling issues that girls face today and why do you think that this is happening right now? Yeah, great question. Look, for me, I am, am mostly concerned about the inner dialogue of our daughters. So um, when I ask girls... To, well, okay, I do this little activity with girls, Robin, and I'll, I'll give you an insight into it because I find it really powerful. Oh, I love, um, I love activities. Okay, good. Well, if I've done my job well, by the end of the day, there's a lot of love and the laughter in the room. And that's deliberate because we know that if we can capture that heart, the mind will follow. And one of the ways in which you can connect to young people is using humour and sharing personal stories. Mm. So there is this deep connection and we've created this really safe space. And when we're in that moment, I say to girls, hands up those of you who have seen the film Mean Girls. And, of course, they all have. It's a cult film. Um, and then I remind them of a key moment in that film and it happens right near the end you and your listeners will remember that the popular girls at the high school who proudly call themselves the plastics have been keeping a diary the burn book mm -hmm. and in that they've been writing lists of all the things they don't like about the other girls at their school who's in who's out who's hot who's not playing that compare and despair game that i'd argue our culture encourages girls to play from a very young age and the very nice maths teacher calls order. She gets the girls after they've all been fighting about what's been revealed in that book to, to, to the school hall. And she says, girls, close your eyes. And they do. And she says, hands up those of you who have teased other girls, gossiped about other girls. And she goes through this list of girl crimes. And of course, one by one, they all put their hands up. They've all done this. Mm -hmm. So I remind girls of that moment. Um, and they all nod, Robin. Oh, yes, that was terrible, Danny. You know, such terrible girl <laughs> behaviour. And I sort of say to them, yeah, look, close your eyes. And they sort of all flinch at first thinking, oh, gosh, she's going to ask if we're mean to each other. <laughs> and we don't want to ask us that because she's really lovely and, you know, we have been and we don't want to. And, and look, I say to them, I'm not going to ask you that question because really what would be the point? I'm sure they have engaged in that behaviour at some stage. And in Robin, who hasn't? I mean, right. I will admit that as a teen girl, I was very critical at times of other girls, particularly my sister, actually. We mm -hmm. were very close. There was only 12 months apart. But if we fought, we would go to war. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I knew exactly what dark girl words to call on mm -hmm. to really inflict a wound on her. And, and if I can just pause that, that story about that activity for a second, it's interesting to unpack those words, Robin, because if you think about it, I think there's three categories of words girls and women tend to use with each other in order to hurt each other. And they're very revealing about the female psyche and about where our confidence vulnerabilities lie. So category one is fat. 
if you want to insult a girl or a woman, you'll call her fat, fat dog, fat cow, fat mole, you know, some sort of fat slur. Mm -hmm. Um, Category two, something about her sexuality, you know, Mm -hmm. slut or skank or, uh, and category three, and in fact, the ultimate word weapon in girl world, she loves herself. She's so up herself. She thinks she's better than everyone. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, isn't that interesting that the ultimate girl crime is to have good yeah. sex? She thinks she's all that. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, yeah. heaven help that girl if she if she has a strong sense of self. So I, I kind of, I understand these word weapons. But I say to girls, and I'm not going to ask you that because what would be the point? I'm sure you've engaged in this. I actually want to get an insight into the words you use with yourself. Mm-hmm. So I ask girls to close their eyes. And then I say to them, Hands up those of you who have told yourself you're not a beautiful girl. Mm-hmm. You're not thin enough, not pretty enough, not hot enough, that in some ways you just don't measure up to the other girls around you. And, Robin, every school I've been in, every girl will put her hand up. Right, right. And I'm getting teary telling you that, which yes. might sound strange seeing I've seen this happen so many times. right. But I always think the day I don't get teary about that is the day I should stop this work. Right. Right. Because it matters. I look at their little faces, Robin, and to me they are so beautiful. I mean, not just physically, but you can just, they radiate this amazing girl potential. And, you know, how can they change the world if they're so focused on wanting to change themselves? Mm. So mm. I say to the men, girls, keep your hands up if your hand is up and open your eyes. And they look around the room. And do you know what they do when they realise every girl in their grade has their hand up? They giggle. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Which is often girl code for I feel really nervous. Mm-hmm. But also I think it is a demonstration of a sense of relief they feel. Absolutely. Because mm-hmm. not only do they think they're not pretty enough, not thin enough, not hot enough, they think they're the only ones experiencing right. this self-doubt. So what happens is, Robin, when you have that moment of realising, wow, it's not just me, it's everyone, something shifts because you start to realise we are at war with our bodies because there's a war being waged on our bodies. Mm-hmm. So this is a powerful moment where you can then get them to turn that critical gaze outward and look at culture, this culture that doesn't seem to like them very much, that encourages them to play compare and despair. You can start to deconstruct media. You can start to teach her that her worth won't ever be determined by a number on a scale. And in that moment, you have the power to do something really clever because you also create a sense of sisterhood and connection. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really crucial. You know, this isn't about um, one individual girl's struggle to feel okay. This is about the feminine struggle mm-hmm. to feel okay and to realise that we're not just bodies, we're somebody's. I think this is what you're saying is so important and I want to put high beams on that and kind of delve in because one of the things that you just said is how critical we can be as key adults in in helping our girls because they are doing this to themselves and and I have a daughter too and we all have you know listeners have key girls in their lives, whether they're students or they're, uh, they're athletes or they are their daughters or nieces or granddaughters. And we have these key girls in our lives and we want to do something. I know that there's experts out there that, you know, you and I have read about that have said, you know, that girls are going to go through an unfailingly difficult time during these teen years. It's troublesome. It's tumultuous. It's you're going to, you're going to plod through it. It's going to be difficult no matter what you do. And you and I tend to look at this a little bit differently because we are both very focused on the strengths of girls, not just, Oh, let's look at, you know, the deficit and, and what we can fill in. So, I want to kind of look into that and I want you to answer how do you feel about a parent's role or a teacher's role or a coach's role, a key adult's role in the life of a girl during those teenage years and how can a key adult have an effect on our girl even if 
it, it is a more difficult time of their life. Okay, so, so here's the key to that. I think one of the first things we need to own is that this isn't just a teen girl issue. Mm -hmm. So while we know lots of teen girls struggle with thinking they're not pretty enough, not thin enough, not hot enough, my God, so do women. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, we grow up, right? We grow up, yeah. we don't grow out of it. Exactly. Yeah, and in fact, you know, add to the mix, as we age, we feel even more vulnerable. We feel even more right. um, invisible. One of my friends just mentioned that to me today. She's like, you know, I have not been feeling very pretty lately. And I look at her and I think she's just absolutely beautiful. But it's, it's so interesting that even as an adult and even with the knowledge that media does this to us, or we've received these messages over time from different people in our lives. Even as very bright women and accomplished women, we still feel this way. So you're absolutely yeah. right on. Yeah, and, and so I think that there's actually an opportunity in that. So I am nothing if not an optimist, um, Robin. There's yeah, an opportunity in that. So if we know that as women we struggle with this too. We could think that guiding our daughter to navigate the media and to emerge knowing her full worth would be really tricky because we don't really know that about ourselves. But I see that as an opportunity because how exciting. Because as women, we will do anything for our kids, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we do do anything for our kids. We do the impossible for our kids. So what an opportunity to think, you know what, I'm going to have to come to terms with loving myself and knowing myself because that is one of the best gifts I can give my daughter. And by doing that, that is not selfish. That's not indulgent. That is actually setting me up to go on this journey with her. And so we don't have to um, think that we have all the answers. We don't have to say to our daughter, oh, yeah, you feel insecure. Don't worry, sweetheart. I'm all over this. I feel fantastic every day. Oh. You know, we don't we don't have to do that. We can actually say, yes, I struggle with that too. And that's really tough. But when I feel that way, this is what I do. Or, yeah, you're right. When I look at magazines, I feel a little sad and a little deflated as well. I wonder why that is. Let's think about it together. You can kind of hold her hand and take her on this journey and heal each other and make this women's business. And I think that is really exciting. And I think that is full of possibility. And it's a wonderful way of connecting with your daughter. So I have a teenage daughter. She's 19 now. One of the best parts of our bond is that we did bond from a young age around feminism and the women's movement. You know, she could see that the politics of that made sense to her, that we're going to empower her, we're going to recognise her. She could see that for me, that was kind of a life force for me. And so bonding on that together has meant we've had this incredible commonality. And, and you do hear a lot about this ridiculous I think it's ridiculous notion that teen girls and mothers in particular are going to be distanced during those mm -hmm. 10 years. That it's almost a, it's almost a given that it's going to be awful. And when I wrote my first book, the butterfly effect, which is a guide to raising happy, confident girls, it's kind of all about strengthening that bond. And so many people in the media, you know, when they introduced me to talk about that book would say things like, Oh, well, it's destined to be an awful time. And, and right. I can't, I think this is like this preconceived notion yeah. we have. We set this up to be a really tricky time. We kind of pit, isn't this, isn't this really sad? We pit mothers and daughters against each other during this time. But what an opportunity they have to connect, to embrace, to discuss feminism, to discuss their own growth as women and to use that to bond. Um, and I always say, Robin, girls can't be what they can't see. Mm -hmm. they can't be what they can't see so our girls will not know their full value their full worth if they don't see us trying to come to terms with what we see our value and worth as being right right absolutely you know it's it's such an important aspect of being a a parent and especially being a female parent or a female figure in a girl's life to show them what they can be and how they can challenge those norms. We know that body image is certainly a, a great problem in girls. The statistics tell us that 70% of girls are on a diet at any given time and 95% of girls want to change something about their bodies. 8% are going to go on some kind of extreme diet. 
And you talk about providing our daughters with these alternative voices and views from these, you know, from parents, from key adults. So when a girl says to a parent or to a key adult, um, a lot of people are going on diets, or I'm thinking about going on a diet, or I'm feeling like I'm fat or not good enough. What is your advice so that parents or key adults can say something to a girl so that she knows she doesn't need to be altered or fixed, and that we need to look outward at the culture and see what needs to be fixed, as you're saying about feminism? Yeah. Well, well, firstly, I'd say, you know, the statistics around the number of girls that are on diets, I think would be very similar for, for adult women. Um, I know very few women who aren't on a diet at some point in their lives and aren't caught up in that cycle. So the first thing we need to do is ditch the dieting. I mean, it doesn't work. If it worked, we wouldn't need to go on diets all the time, right? Right. Um, and, and so if, if your daughter isn't seeing you engage in dieting, she's less likely to be drawn into that. But that doesn't mean that you can't eat well, be healthy, feed and nourish your body well. Um, and, and again, that's really great role modeling. You know, go for a walk as a family, eat really good food as a family. Um, don't make any food forbidden though. I mean, it, you know, we don't want to be excluding um, food types. We know that dieting is the, the leading trigger for eating disorders in adolescent girls. Sure. They're really complex mental illnesses, but we know that dieting is, is the key trigger. And, and we want to avoid that stuff. There's so many other opportunities to encourage your daughter to, to love, nourish, and see what her body can do rather than focus on its perceived deficits. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, too, part of this, look, my attitude to dieting is kind of complex, Robin. I think also we sometimes need to look at what is it that we really think we're going to achieve by that diet. So if you look at the messages around dieting, um, often it will depict a woman at the end looking really quite loved. Maybe it will be her wedding day or maybe mm. she'll finally find a boyfriend. Or So what we really want is probably love, mm. really. We want to feel loved. We want to feel seen. We want to feel valued. Sometimes we need to actually feed ourselves more, not less. And when I say feed yourself, I mean feed yourself with, with love, with compassion, with connection, um, in order to, feed, to, 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 you know, to get rid of that hunger. I mean... I think, Robin, some of us feel that we will be loved if we are hungry. Oh, um, wow, and, yes, sure. And, and, and that is such a, a strange, limiting, um, destructive notion. Um, and some of us also feel that we will be loved through having more. You know, we overeat because it makes us feel valued. We associate it with, with treating ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we kind of need to come to terms with this inner um, desire we have to feel that we are enough, to feel that our body doesn't define us. So, so that's complex work, mm. <laughs> but, it's, but it's valuable life work. And as parents and educators, I think also throughout all of this, a key element is to really focus on being empathetic and love, 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 love your daughter. I mean, just because she's bigger and more difficult to love at times doesn't mean that she doesn't yearn for that. She doesn't need that. And if she isn't getting it from her family, she'll look for it in other places and not all of them will be positive places. Mm, this is a very good point. And, you know, when, when girls are feeling on the outskirts or they're feeling like they're not good enough, they're not feeling valued, then yes, they're going to try to fill in that void through possibly destructive um, yeah. services and and certainly of course it doesn't that doesn't work or end well so mm -hmm. I, I appreciate what you're saying about that what would be aside from having you know that sort of frank conversation about your your own insecurities and what you've been through um, as, as, as far as confidence sort of generally speaking what are some really great key tips that can help our parents, our teachers, our coaches inspire girls to be happy and confident during those teen years, aside from 
getting rid of the the dieting and the uh, the constant look at media twenty four seven. Yeah, look, I think true confidence comes from competence. When you know that you're good at something and you have ability in something, that gives you a stronger sense of confidence. Agreed. So it's about tapping into what she's good at, what she has ability in. If it's not academic, perhaps it's creative. Perhaps it's in, on the sporting field. Maybe it's being in a leadership role. So it's about finding what her gifts are and nurturing those, which will give her a sense of confidence. See, I think the word confidence um, is sometimes used in a way that's almost meaningless now. It's like you should have confidence. It's like you can almost wish yourself into like having a strong sense of self or almost like, you know, if you write down, I I love myself the way I am and you stick that somewhere, that'll be enough. That isn't going to be enough. True confidence comes from being good at something and understanding and backing your own capacity. And so you need to have an opportunity to flex that capacity. Um, And that's hard, I think, because we also live in a culture that isn't very forgiving of mistakes. We have a lot of doom and gloomers, particularly around our daughters. You know, even some of the parenting experts I listen to, Robin, they make me sad because they catastrophize. Mm. They, They convince us that if our daughters make one mistake, that they're doomed. Oh, you know, goodness. If they do this, I mean, you hear this online a lot, don't you, that if she does this and her whole reputation will be ruined or if oh, this happens right. and her life will be ruined, she'll never be at a job. None of that is true. Right. We can all come back from any mistake we make. We absolutely can and we do all the time. And we need to encourage her to understand there's always a way forward, work through solutions with her rather than catastrophizing and build up her competence in any area. Um, but the other thing that I'm really passionate about, apart from girls, my, my, my most recent book was actually a book on gratitude. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think gratitude is probably a whole other conversation we could have. But quickly, I do think that um, fostering thankfulness in girls and boys really helps build up her sense of confidence and connection because she'll start to look at the world and think that it isn't all doom and gloom, despite what the naysayers might say, and that there is plenty there for her to feel grateful about, for her to feel appreciative of, and she'll start to identify those little moments and the little moments build up to a big, big moment of love in your life. Mm. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think you're right, and I, and I certainly think we should have a conversation about about gratitude on one of these podcasts. It's a, one of my favorite topics as well. I think when we are able to be thankful for what we have, that we look at ways to uh, be grateful for our our own gifts. Um, as well as the gifts of others, we certainly have a different different view in life. I know that when I am presenting to girls, one of the things that they really latch on to when I talk about strengths, because I'm very big on, on identifying those strengths, because I think so often we look at faults, and I, I, I think that's the wrong way of looking at things. Um, when we're looking at strengths, that we can capture our own strengths, and also as a as a team of girls, as a class of girls, as a community of women, we can highlight the strengths of others as well. Um, because when, when girls start to hear that other girls appreciate, not comparing, but appreciate them for what they bring to the table, there can be a, a very wonderful thing that can happen. A, a woman, a, a mother came to me the night of one of my presentations. She said her daughter uh, had come to her and said, oh, you have to come tonight because uh, I had spoken to them that afternoon. And she said, um, my daughter came to me and said the, this thing happened that had never happened before, that you would ask them to identify their strengths, but then you asked them to turn to somebody else in the audience and 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 recognize one of their strengths. And she said, no, it's never happened before for her, that it had never happened that another girl had come to her and recognized her for her strengths, not because she was like trying to bash her own self, but because she wanted to let this other girl know and elevate her just, just to say something that she appreciated. So I, I really think that, that that idea of strengths can, can certainly be 
expanded. Um, what kind of things do you want our girls to be saying to their friends them, in, in their groups? Because we're talking a lot about the key adults, but what about when you leave those girls and they're in those really strong friendship groups, what do you want to happen within those friendship groups in terms of conversations and interactions? Look, I'm going to say something that might be considered a little radical here, but I think one of the um, mistakes we've made, particularly around our conversations with girls, is um, uh, pushing the fact that we expect them all to be best friends and mm. that if they don't get along or they disagree, that they're mean girls, that they're bullies, that girls gossip, we're so... We're so condemning on the mm. dynamics of teen girl friendships, much more so than we are on the dynamics of male friendships. So, and I always find this actually interesting too, Robin. Often teachers will say to me when they book our programming for the girls, um, yeah, you know, the boys are fine because when they have a fight, they just kind of punch each other up and, and then they're friends again afterwards. And they tell me this like it's a good thing. I'm supposed to be relieved that the mm -hmm. boys resort to physical violence and then get over it. And, and I think... No, first of all, that's really not okay that the boys are doing that. But secondly, the fact that the girls um, don't resort to physical violence but but have this, you know, ongoing perhaps passive-aggressive or outwardly-aggressive yes. dialogue, um, yeah, we need to address that. But, it, but, but why are we assuming that one is okay and the other is not? Why are we so... And I think it's because... We have this this vision still that girls should be sugar and spice and everything nice, mm. that they should be the peacemakers. And so when they defy that for whatever reason, we're very condemning and we're very confronted. So in my work with girls, I say to them, you don't have to be friends with everybody. I mean, that's kind of crazy thing to suggest. In our workplaces, we're not best friends with everybody we work with. There will be some people we work with and interact with as adults that we don't really like. Mm -hmm. However, however, we can be friendly. And that's what we do as adults if we're mature in the workplace or in other environments. We might necessarily be friends, but we'll be friendly. And when you say to girls, I recognise that your feelings are valid, that you don't have to like everybody, but could you be friendly? Because mm -hmm. if you were, this is what that would look like. This is what mm. that would feel like for everyone is that okay they're really open to that and it's an important thing too Robin because I think when we say to girls you have to be friends with everybody what we're saying is your inner intuition about people and people that you think perhaps are toxic or that you think make you feel bad you're not allowed to respect that mm. you have to silence that voice and you have to just give to everybody regardless of how you feel about them that mm. is a dangerous message to set girls up mm. for mm -hmm. as they move into their um, more romantic relationships older in life so you know giving girls permission to say you don't have to all be friends that's totally fine if you don't like that person but could you be friendly could you recognize they're human <laughs> could you yeah. just treat them with that that kind of dignity that kind of respect you mentioned, you know, feedback you get. And I had um, a, an email from a girl just yesterday that is so relevant. I'm going to read it to you. It's really brief, but I Perfect. think it's incredibly powerful. Um, she said, Danny, I'm 13 going on 14, and I've been having a really hard time through school and life, always being put down. When I was in year six and one of the girls told me that I was so ugly and not even a plastic surgeon could make me thinner or prettier, mm -hmm. Ever since then, I've woken up and gone to bed telling myself that I'm such an ugly girl and that I'm useless. But I started to change the way I thought about myself after I found your website. I went to your workshop today and meeting you in person and listening to what you had to say changed everything for me. I got told the other day at school for the billionth time that I was ugly and fat. And you know what, Danny? I had just had enough. I went up to the girl and I said, please stop that because I shouldn't get treated like that. I'm a person too. And she is now stopped and the other girls are looking up to me for setting some boundaries and this is because of what you told them about us all being human and deserving respect. Mm -hmm. You've helped me in my grades so much and after I met you I was crying because I knew I had just met the person who changed my life. Thank mm -hmm. you so much. So beautiful. Oh. But, you know, but, it's, but this is the thing, this is why I also love working with whole year groups of girls, not just individual girls, because you're changing culture, right? Yes, so, yes. 
it was amazing that she stood up for herself for the first time, that she felt empowered to do that. But what was even more amazing to me listening to that email was that the girls around her kind of looked at that and I went, yeah, fair call. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? And, 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 it, and she felt that. Yeah. An amazing thing that she not only stood up, but that she saw the effect that it had on other people and then that sort of feedback loop that came back to her again, right? That, that, that affirming feel that, yes, you just did exactly what you should have done in that situation. Yeah. And, and so I think when it comes to teen girl friendships, let's recognize that there are definitely some challenges as there are in all emerging relationships, yeah. male and female, old and young. I mean, a goodness sake, again, girls can't be what they see. So many women engage in toxic relationships and sure. friendships. Um, and they're celebrated on TV, aren't they? My goodness. Oh, they sure are. Aren't they entertaining? I mean, yes, that's the whole idea, right? So, you know, so I'm not surprised that there are challenges. I do get surprised somewhat at how condemning we are of that and how we hone in on that. And I do get surprised and dismayed at the rhetoric that we try and use to heal it, which doesn't allow girls to have permission to still feel what they feel, which is that I find this person challenging and difficult. But if you can move past that and say, I find this person challenging and difficult, but I recognize they're human and I can be kind still, I can still smile at them. I can, I don't need to, to demonstrate my rage in this outward outward way um then i think that's kind of critical oh wow thank you for reading that amazing email you really are doing just incredible work and it's it's so important that these girls feel that they are human but that they can actually stand up and declare it and own their worth i bet you that girl feels um, just an incredible amount of such a surge of, of self-worth now that she was able to say it with her own words and hear it with her own ears, that she is, she should be treated with respect. I know Rosalind Wiseman often talks about dignity and, and needing to be treated with dignity, especially after all her Mean Girls work and, and the work that she continues to do. And it, it's, it's just so important that our girls carry on that conversation. So I, I appreciate what you're saying there. I'm wondering, because we've talked a lot about about girls and and women and and you know our relationships i actually had quite a strong relationship with my mother but i also had a very strong relationship with my father and that got very strong during my teenage years and i'm wondering you know for fathers and key male adults i often hear and i'm i'm wondering if you hear this too but i often hear from from men well you know this is really her, her mother's domain, or this is a woman's domain to talk to their girls about, you know, body image and self-esteem and, and, and the things that they're going through. And, and of course, women play a key role here. But we have a wonderful audience of dads and male coaches and teachers for this show. So I'm wondering what you would say to them in particular oh, about their role in helping oh, girls thrive and become their role is huge, Robin. In yeah. fact, we know through looking at the research that um, the way a girl sees her father treat her and the women around him will help shape um, her version of how men should treat her later in life. She's her, he's her first experience of the male gaze, if you like. And mm. one of the best examples of how this can be so powerful um, came from the comedian Dawn French. Do you know Dawn French in America? I don't know that I do know that name, okay. but I will look her up. Yeah, she's an um, English comedian, the other half of French and Saunders, um, and she was the vicar of Dibley. But anyway, regardless, she and she is a, a larger-sized woman. And But I've always found her really charismatic and, um, and beautiful-looking. She's got this vibrant energy and bubbliness about her. Mm -hmm. And in Australia, she was here some years ago, and she was speaking to one of our um, key journalists at the time, Andrew Denton, and... He was interviewing her and he's usually, you know, so switched on. And at one point he looked a little flustered and he paused the interview and he said, Dawn, please don't take this the wrong way. I'm a happily married man, but I have to say I highly covet you. Um, 
and she sort of laughed and said, of course you do, Andrew, I'm gorgeous. And, and then they spoke about how is it that as a larger sized older woman in entertainment, she has this amazing sense of self and this incredible self-confidence and she attributes it to her father. And in mm. fact, she's written a beautiful book called Dear Fatty, which is really almost a love letter to her dad. Mm. And in that, she described this wonderful moment, Robin, I'm going to paraphrase it, mm-hmm. but um, she was around 16 and she was going to a party and she said there was going to be a really hot boy there that she really liked and she was looking forward to seeing him and making a bit of a play for him. So she said, you know, I decided I would wear purple velvet hot pants and a matching purple velvet beret. And she said, <laughs> I was a plump girl even then. So this required much oiling of the thighs to try and get this outfit on. So I finally sort of squeezed myself into it and I came sashaying down the stairs and my dad looked up at me and he said, oh, Dawn, I think we need to have a talk. Mm. And he pulled her aside and he looked at her and he said, Dawn, you are such a beautiful girl. You are my sun, my moon, my stars. And every time you leave this house, Dawn, you take my heart with you and your mother's too. And I want you to know, darling, any man, any man would be bloody lucky to have a woman like you on his arm. Mm. And she said she got to the party and she saw the cute boy and she thought, nah, I don't think he's good enough for me. (laughs) And I thought, what a gift to have given his daughter, this strong sense of her value, of the fact that she's loved, that she's seen. Um, Isn't that all we ever want, to be loved and to be seen? You know, whether we're wearing purple velvet hot pants or we're not, we yeah. (laughs) And and I got I did growing up, Robin, so much. I mean, your listeners are probably listening to me thinking I sound pretty together, and I and I guess in many ways I am. But God, it's been a journey. I mean, when I was a little girl, when I was two, I was badly burnt. And I have third degree burn scars on my arm and my neck, really very noticeable, quite Mm. disfiguring scars, and. As a little girl, I thought, you know, they didn't matter. Like I just was so happy about bossing my sister around and mm-hmm. playing outside with my puppy and, you know, I, I didn't care about how I looked. But when I hit adolescence, God, I definitely did. And, and I thought my arm was this big disfiguring kind of lump that I was going to have to drag through what had been oh. a promising life, you know, because as a teenager, you are very dramatic. You do, yes. you know, you're wired to feel things really strongly, which can be such a great thing and such a negative thing. And, and for me, it was this huge, you know, crippling um, self-doubt about my arm. And on the surface, I reckon I looked fine. I mean, I was very bright at school. I was academically excelling. I was popular, but I was wearing a jumper all year round. You know, mm-hmm. I was covering up. Mm-hmm. It was only through kind of discovering the women's movement, really questioning why there were these limiting messages about beauty that I started to develop a stronger sense of self that was more resilient to that. And part of that journey of resilience for me honestly, it wasn't so much my mom being a positive role model. She was very caught up in dieting and so forth herself, to be honest. It was, it was men. And in my case, it was my grandfather. And I was very, very close to him. Um, I'm getting teary. He was the love of my life. Mm. Um, Passed away when I was 17, but I adored him. And again, this confidence equals confidence. He would show me all the time that I was clever at things, that I could fix things. Um, that I was so much more than just my body. Mm. And that was an amazing gift. So we sometimes have to be a little creative about where we seek these positive role models, Robin. We don't always get dealt a fair hand, do we, in life? Right. We might not have parents around us or even teachers perhaps that really see us and value us, but we can seek that out and we can seek that out through literature, we can seek that out through fiction and nonfiction, through reading, just surrounding ourselves with voices that shine a path for us, which, you know, illuminates for us somewhere we, we think looks like a good place to be. And we just keep heading in that direction one step at a time. Yes. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Those are, you know, all of this is so beautiful. I love all of the stories that you've told 
And, you know, the, the idea that this Don French's father said all of those beautiful words to her and sent her off to a party and your grandfather said these amazing things to you and, and that made such a difference for you. It really hits me. And I'm wondering about the opportunity to have a really good, whether it's a conversation or it's just something you want to say to a girl, if you have an opportunity, and we do, we have many opportunities to say something to the girls in our lives. And this podcast is all about, you know, really having the tough conversations, um, not skirting around them, this saying it outright and not leaving it to chance that this girl does not know her worth. So what would you say all parents, teachers, coaches should say to our girls so that they absolutely know that they are worthwhile, that they have a lot to offer, and that it's not empty words, that they truly believe in these girls. What, would, what's, what is it that we should be saying? We should be telling them that, that they're enough. I mean, they're more than enough. And, and this is going to sound perhaps a little old-fashioned, but I just think we need to love them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I get emotional about that because I think we live in a culture that doesn't love girls very much and doesn't love women very much. And it seems strange to think that maybe we can fix this through love, but I believe we can. And I believe that I do. I mean, when I go into schools to work with girls, when I first started Robin, my secret agenda was to just love them really hard so they could have that experience and then love themselves that hard as well. But you can't really say to a school principal when he's booking you, you know, I just want to come in and love you girls because it sounds really um, perhaps inappropriate almost. So, you know, you can frame it other ways. You can be clever and talk about implementing strategies of positive psychology and connectedness. And, but at the end of the day, it is love that we all seek more of, particularly our girls. And um, in my first book, I asked teenage girls, what is it that you want more of? And they didn't mention, you know, clothing or mobile phones or or stuff. They all mentioned love. They may not have used the word love. Some of them said affection or attention, but it was fundamentally love. Um, And I said to girls, well, surely you know that you are loved. You know, surely you know that your parents love you. And they said things to me like, well, sometimes I'm not very easy to love. You know, sometimes I can be really tricky. I can be challenging. And being the sort of person that I am that likes to focus on what works, not what's broken, I said, okay, well, let's not, you know, delve too much into why you're hard to love, but just tell me about when you did feel loved and, and, and how that manifested itself for you. Um, and their answers, Robin, were so beautiful. You know, we look at our teenage girls and they seem so grown up and worldly, but often what makes their hearts sing is so simple still. Um, One girl said to me, I love it when it's raining and I get on the school bus and I know that my mum will be waiting for me and she'll have uh, my pyjamas ready for me to get changed into and sometimes she'll sit on the lounge with me and we'll watch TV and she might make me pancakes and I don't even have to do my homework first. Um, She said, so I just sit on the bus and I pray for rain. Oh, I had another girl say to me, I love it when we go shopping with my mum and dad. And I thought, yeah, yeah, you do, don't you? And she said, because when we go shopping, at some point we will sit and we'll talk and they'll have a coffee and I'll have a milkshake. And it always feels easy to talk to them then. She said, so I ask them for stuff all the time, but I don't really want the stuff. I want to talk to them, but I don't know how to ask them for that. Um, I had another girl say, I love it when I walk into my mum's bedroom because it smells like her and that smells like home. Mm-hmm. You know, when you hear these things, it breaks down some of the complexities that I suspect we've kind of artificially constructed around these years. We've got this. We know how to love our kids. We know how to be fierce for them. We know how to step up for them. Um, and We need to trust that. We need to not let the naysayers and the doom and gloomers get into our heads and our hearts um, because it is about connection and it is about 
that mutual empathy and respect and and love mm. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's beautiful. I, I, it's making me think of all different things as you're talking. I, I loved having lunch with my dad, you know, doing lunch. That was always a, a big thing for us. And, you know, we both get iced coffee and he would get blintzes with extra sour cream and, <laughs> you know, and I would have a salad and, you know, I, we just talk about everything. And it was, so important. And my mom and I, yes, we would absolutely, you know, go to lunch and go shopping. And it was all about those moments of connection. Uh, and, and I really truly believe that that conversation breeds that connection and that we, we need to delve into the, the different topics and ask our girls what's going on and not assume that they're going to shut us out. I think you're right on with that, that we can't make these assumptions of doom and gloom. Yeah, and also not take it to heart if they don't feel like chatting too much. I once spoke to this uh, really delightfully upfront teenage girl. She was 16 and she said to me, you know, I get so annoyed when I come home from school and my mom said, you know, how was your day? What happened? And I've lived it once. I don't want to have to live it again. Oh, that's a good point. And I sort of said, well, maybe you should tell your mom that because I think she thinks you just don't want to talk to her because you don't value her. She goes, I'll talk about something else. I just don't want to talk about my day. Right. Oh, that is such a well-said line. I like that. I yeah. Say that yeah. I think it's just about keeping the conversation open, right? And not right. personalizing it too much if they don't want to talk. I mean, exactly. it is exhausting being a teenager. Oh. Like, like, and like, home is like, a oh. You finally. Uh, I remember. Today. Yeah. <laughs> I once had this gorgeous dad as well. I did this keynote and he was this wonderful dad and he worked in um, mining of all things. So he was away from home for quite a while and he put his hand up, you know, in front of a thousand people. And he said to me, which was beautiful of him. He said, you know, I really want to connect more with my teenage daughter. He said, but I'm away a lot for work, which makes it really tricky. And Sometimes when I when I ask her out, she doesn't want to go out with me and it really hurts me. And he kind of got quite teary. I was very touched. And I said to him, you know, firstly, it's so beautiful that you're here to learn about raising teenage girls. So you're definitely getting some bonus points from, from us, at least, for, you know, your desire to do this better. I said, but can I just ask you, what were you like as a teenage boy? And he just laughed and said, I was a complete, you know, idiot like I was a <laughs> I'm like and yet here you are this lovely engaged dad so I reckon she'll be okay I think she'll come out the other end see we shouldn't read so much in to what is often part of that adolescent cycle of rebellion and impulsivity and and exhaustion and I mean you know they were good little humans they will be good little humans again that's a good point yes so at this point I would love to hear your very top tip, the top tip that you would say every parent or key adult should utilize in order to help our girls feel and embrace more confidence. Look, it's probably one that you've, that you've heard from other guests, I guess, because it is a top tip, but that is to encourage her to critique culture, not just herself and her peers. So once our young people are empowered to decode the mixed messages they receive, you know, these have a lot less sting. They have a lot less power over her. So encourage her to do that. And and it's a, a great thing, Robin. I think once you see how manipulative messages are, once you see how negative they are, once you see how limiting they are, you can't unsee it. Mm-hmm. And it sets you up to to, to move through the world with a stronger sense, a stronger solid sense of self. So you're less likely to kind of drift in and out um, of, of that negativity. And, and that's really powerful to have a strong grounded sense of self. You need to learn those critical thinking skills. I agree with that. And, you know, our kids want to be more savvy. They want to feel like they have some power in this world, some control in this world so that when we can open their eyes to what's going on in the media and the influences that are around them, they, they feel like, well, I, I'm not going to just lie down and, and, and allow that yeah. to happen to me, right? <laughs> they feel yeah. like they have some control. 
Yeah, and I think teenagers are naturally really gifted at critiquing things. <laughs> so get them to turn that critical gaze outward rather than inward, you know, they're a powerful force. That's true. And if we, you know, get them, give them that permission and we ask them the questions and we discuss the media and say, what did you think about this? And what about what they're saying? Like, how does that make you feel? Then they're, they're going to be more likely to critique something and, uh, and, and see it through different eyes, you know, or at least admit that they have had a hunch all along about something and now you're giving them the opportunity to talk about it with you. And that's, that's a great gift. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's creating that moment of connection and that moment of me too, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel that too. I, right. I, I agree with you. Yeah. So at this point, I'd love to find out from you where you would want people to go in order to get more information about you and some of the topics that we've talked about today in your books, because what you have to offer is, is really helpful to parents and to educators. Well, thank you, Robin. That's very kind of you. I think because I do, I wear lots of different hats, the best website to go to is probably my own personal website, which is daniellemiller.com. And there's two N's in Danielle, just to be tricky. So D-A-N-N-I-E-L-L-E Miller, M-I-L-L-E-R.com. And from there, they'll be able to access information about my girls program, my boys program. I have a blog for parents and educators, which I've been writing for 10 years. So there's lots of posts on there. Um, and they'll be able to access some of my media work and, and my books. Um, I don't think my books are available in the US, sadly, but um, maybe some publisher will listen and decide to change that. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And maybe, maybe there's some way to access it on Amazon or... Yeah, one of possibly. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, all of that is really terrific. And we will have links to all of your information on the show notes. So those people who are driving right now or, you know, are unable to write anything down, don't worry. It's all uh, right there on the website on the show notes, as along with some great quotes from Danny, who has said so many great things that I've been writing down, um, some important ideas that we want to come away with. And and uh, her bio, everything will be right on in there. So don't worry if you're unable to write anything down right now. You know, Danny, I just want to say thank you for your insights and your strategies. I, I love what you're saying about uh, making sure that you turn your gaze in, in different directions so that you understand yourself better, that you are... you have the key adults in, in the lives of these girls, uh, talk to them about these critical issues and admit that they are, uh, they're not infallible, that they have these, the same concerns um, and that they're available to, to talk about these very pressing issues. They've been there and they still are there in many cases. Um, your strategies are really important. And I, I think that Everybody who's listening is, is, I'm sure, extremely appreciative of, of everything that you've revealed today. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Dr. Robin. It's amazing. I, I think opportunities like this for honest, open discussions um, about parenting are just so valuable because, you know, it takes a village. But I think it takes a village, particularly in the teenage years. And ironically, there's lots of parenting um, workshops and books around babies and then we sort of perhaps we feel like we're meant to know what we're doing by now but we, <laughs> we don't tend to invest as much in how we can navigate this next critical stage and it is a whole new ball game and we need to have more of these honest open discussions and and work on how we can raise incredible teenagers because I tell you you know I love them. They're so funny and real and authentic and powerful and they're going to change the world. So I think it's an incredible opportunity for us as um, adults who love and nurture them to, to do so that, to do so with, you know, a little arsenal of strategies and a little, a little bag of tips and tricks that we can use and pull out um, to make it as painless as possible. 
Absolutely. You said it. And it's, it's, uh, it's something that we really appreciate you stepping out and, and taking that a, a very big role in, in helping us understand the teenage years and our girls and confidence and going out and really using your strategies hands on because these girls need you and uh, they're certainly responding to you. So thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your gifts with us. My absolute pleasure. Thank you, Dr. Robin. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends, I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. Let's go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page. Let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm going to be tweeting with Danny and we will be doing Facebook together and you can get in on all of those discussions. I'm also going to be on the How to Talk to Kids About Anything Facebook page, which I just started so you can get in on that. And I'm on Instagram now, so come on over. We got to have memes that uh, from Danny too, who you know has said so many great things. I want to slap them right there on a meme so you can share them yourself. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so other people can learn about the outstanding solutions and use them in their own homes. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, I hope you'll visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts up there. The show notes are up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not always easy. But never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I see you. I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. Been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.